Well, back in 1990, uh, I was in my first year in college, and so was my best friend. He was going to UVA, and we would write letters back and forth to each other. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a letter is, it's where you take a piece of paper, you write, you fold the paper up, put a stamp on it. That, that's what a letter is. Anyway, back then, we wrote letters. Phone calls were pretty expensive. Um, and in our correspondence back and forth with each other, uh, my friend Tim invited me to come to a fraternity party. He said, hey, it'll be a great weekend to come visit. It'll be fun. We're having a, we're having a party at the frat house or whatever. And I thought, okay, that, that'd be great. So uh, I get to UVA and it come, night comes around and the party's going on and the music is pumping and it's a, it's a lot of fun. I don't know if you'll recognize these musicians. Bobby Brown was playing and boys to men, you know, and stuff. And so we're kind of, everybody in the house is dancing. And I got to admit, like, there was a part of me just like, oh, my gosh, these people don't know how to dance. Like, this is sad, you know. <laughs> I, I guess I was kind of fooling myself in my dancing ability. And so anyway, everybody's dancing, having a good time anyway. And all of a sudden, the room breaks into one of those circles, you know, like at weddings or whatever, where it gives an opportunity to people kind of show their stuff, right? You know, what their man's moves are. So I'm like, okay, this is my opportunity to show these people how, how to dance. And so I get out there and I'm doing the running man and I'm doing the, you know, this move that Bobby Brown did on one of his videos. And then I get this other move where you're kind of doing a jumping jack thing like that. And about two seconds into that jumping jack, I'm flat on my face on the floor. <laughs> in mud it was damp it had been raining outside and so i was just like muddy hands from catching myself and i did get some on my shirt and uh, you think i would have just left at that point but i'm like no i'm gonna really show these people how to dance so i get back up and i do my thing and i do that little thing again and two seconds later i find myself flat face down on the floor with my hands and at that point i'm like tim let's get out of here i'm just so embarrassed. And um, anyway, um, maybe some of you have had an experience like that before, um, not falling on your face on a dance floor, but the experience of being in a place or in a setting where you're kind of looking around and comparing yourselves to others. And you think, who do these people think they are? Like, I'm probably the best one at doing whatever it is that, that everyone's trying to do here. And I'm pretty much better than everyone in this room. And if they're not aware of that, they soon will be. And uh, it may not have been worded in that way. Or maybe you didn't think it or say it out, but what in your heart, it's kind of that feeling that like, um, maybe you're at the office and you're thinking, oh man, these people in the office, man, they don't know what they're doing. They need to get a clue or um, in the classroom. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they got that problem wrong, you know, whether it's a math problem or something like that. Or if it's on the court or the sports field, you're thinking, um, man, this, this guy shouldn't even be on the team or this girl shouldn't even be on the team. It's times when you look down on people who aren't um, maybe as talented as you are, as healthy or fit as you are, as wealthy as you are, as eco-conscious maybe as you are. Maybe they're not as attractive as you are, or educated, or wise, or successful as you are. Well, in the scriptures, we find an account where Jesus comes face to face with some people who had this kind of attitude in their hearts, except it wasn't in the area that we just talked about. It was in the area of morality. It was in the area of religion. 
And these people had an overestimated view of their religious performance or achievements. And they believed that their religious performance entitled them to look down upon others. So we're going to take a look at that passage together this morning from Luke chapter 18. And you can turn there in your Bibles if you don't have one. There's up here. But I think it will also be up on the screen here to read along. So Jesus comes face to face with these people who kind of feel a little bit above everybody else. And we're told, it says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, in this passage that we're looking at this morning, in this parable, this story, this illustration that Jesus gives, we see two men. One's a Pharisee. The other is a tax collector. And we're told that they both were going up to the temple and they both were bringing their prayers before God. But by the end of the story, we're told that only one of them leaves God's presence justified meaning that they were declared in right standing before God. So there's a comparison going on here where we have one person who is a positive example that Jesus is given. We want to follow this example. And we're given another um, that is a negative example in, in showing how we are not to approach God in prayer. And Jesus begins with the negative example, the Pharisee. Um, I like to call Pharisees just religious people because that's probably the equivalent of what we'd say. And not a lot of people understand the intricacies of what a Pharisee was. But for those of you who aren't familiar with what a Pharisee was, it was basically uh, Pharisees were a religious sect. Um, they were known for how devout they were to keeping the laws of the Old Testament, and the laws of the oral tradition of Judaism. And um, basically, there were over 600 laws that they would keep that were from the Torah. And then beyond that, there were hundreds of other laws that, that were part of their oral tradition. Now, in this parable, um, Jesus gives us a picture of this Pharisee who came before God uh, to the temple to bring his prayers before God. He came there free of any burden of guilt or shame or moral failure, like a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer or a traitor's tax collector might have to come before God with guilt and shame. He, he didn't have any of that. And he says, God, I thank you. I'm not like them. And um, he thanks God for that. And with regard to religious laws, this Pharisee, uh, we find that he goes above and beyond the annual fast that's required of the law. He fasts twice a week in his devotion to God. And he goes beyond giving just a tenth of what's required, but a tenth of everything that he has gained. So this guy, 
he's actually somebody that um, could be considered exemplary. He is devout. He is devoted to God in his in this external uh, ways that he shows his faith in God, his devotion to God. He's someone who took his religion seriously. So on the surface, really, there's nothing wrong with what he's doing and what, what he's declaring and, and depicting himself to have been have done. But as we know from scriptures in, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, uh, we're told that um, man judges by the outward appearance. So you might look at him and think that, but think these, man, what an example he is. But, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so we get to see beneath the surface of this religious veneer that this religious man had, because Jesus allows us to hear the private prayers and thoughts going in this man's heart, going on in his heart as he's at the temple to pray. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He could have thanked God for a lot of things, right? You know, we did a prayer meeting here. We're like, hey, let's take time to thank and praise God. He could have thanked God for God's protection. When he thought of what can I be thankful for? I thank you for your provision, Lord. Um, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. But instead, this religious man considers, what am I going to thank God for? What am I? I'm, oh, I'm thankful that I'm not like those people. And in that, we see him setting himself apart from others. I'm, I'm not like them. And more specifically, he elevates himself, others, as he compares his moral and spiritual success to the moral and spiritual failures, particularly of this other guy who's in the temple with him, praying to God at the same time. The tax collector. The one who collects taxes from God's people and gives that money over to the enemy, the Roman government, the tax collector who's become wealthy by overcharging people for their taxes, the the tax collector who says, I'm going to send Roman soldiers here if you don't pay what I tell you you have to pay, the tax collector who's known to be um, dishonest, disgraceful, um, traitorous to God's people, the man with his head bowed down, unable to look up at God, burdened, with guilt, standing far off, praying to God in the temple. The Pharisee prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like, like, like that guy, the tax collector, as if to say, what's this guy even doing in the temple? I mean, he's not even qualified to be here. When he gets his act together, maybe he can come back and pray with people like me, but this is crazy. This guy's even in here. Now, it's it's easy for us to come down on the Pharisee and his judgmentalism, right? It's easy for us because, um, you know, we're on the outside and we get to see his heart and, and it's easy to judge him. But um, I think Jesus gives us uh, this parable as a caution. Because just by the fact that we're a church here today, we're religious people, too. And so we ought to come before this passage and go, well, maybe there's something I God wants to speak to me into my heart as I look at this Pharisee. Maybe there's some of me in that, too. Because as religious people um, and any people, sin can creep into our hearts. 
And it can turn um, us into someone like this Pharisee, overconfident in our religion and overconfident in the way we compare ourselves to other people. I mean, we may not fast twice a week. I don't know anybody, anybody in this room fast twice a week. That's awesome if you do. Um, we may not give a tenth of everything we gain, um, but we do come to church on Sundays. We do. Um, maybe we attend Bible studies weekly. Maybe we have our ter- personal times of prayer and devotion in the morning. Maybe we play in the worship band. Maybe we give 10% of our income to the church or ministries or people in need. Maybe we volunteer at church on Sundays. Maybe we serve in the children's ministries. Maybe we volunteer for another ministry like Young Life or or Manna Ministry. And um, there is nothing wrong with that. That is God-honoring activity. Those are things that can advance the kingdom of God. And I think God is pleased in those kinds of activities. But just as how the religious activities of the Pharisee um, went wrong uh, in the person in his heart, so our religious activities can go wrong in our hearts, in the motives for why we do those religious things that we do. Satan's tricky. He can take good religious actions and behaviors and corrupt the motives for why we're doing them. And this is where the Pharisee went astray, and it's where we can go astray too. His error was that instead of looking at God in his religious life, he began looking at others and comparing himself to others. Um, in doing this, he began to find his identity in his superior religious performance in comparison to others. He became self-congratulating about his religious activity and moral purity, again, elevating himself above others. His faith became more about glorifying himself than glorifying God. And he went, to, went from um, disapproval of people's moral and religious fa- failures to disapproval of those people and judgment of those people. Do we ever find ourselves in those kinds of moments in our life where we find our identity in our superior religious performance in comparison to others? Do we ever privately congratulate ourselves on our religious activity or our moral purity in relation to others? Do we ever make the mistake of not only disapproving of someone's sinful behavior, but of that person and condemning them? Um, This is the danger that Jesus is showing us that can happen in a religious person's heart. When we take our faith seriously, which we should, there's nothing wrong with the religious things and activities that we do to advance God's kingdom. But things can go wrong in our heart when we begin focusing more attention on ourselves compared to others than just keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and keeping our eyes fixed on God. Now, um, again, I just want to reiterate, and I just said it, it's not wrong to do religious things and we shouldn't go, well, I'm just not going to do them. So I don't fall into that sin. Um, and it's not wrong to compare and contrast with other people. Um, these are God given abilities that God gives us, um, to be able to judge right from wrong. And he's actually asking us to do that in this parable. He's saying, look at these two people, compare and contrast them. 
And by doing that, when we look at one example, we can say, that's the folly that I want to avoid. Jesus is saying, guard your heart. Be careful of falling into that. And then on the other hand, there's a positive example that we find in the tax collector where we can go, okay, here's the positive example. Jesus saying, have this kind of heart before God and before others. So we're going to turn our attention now away from the tax collector, the negative example, and we're going to look at the positive example that we find in the tax, I'm sorry, away from the Pharisee and turn to the positive example, the tax collector, where God gives us an example that we can aspire to and we would want to imitate in our own faith. So in the parable, when the tax collector approaches God in prayer in the temple, unlike the Pharisee, who had his eyes on himself, comparing himself to, I'm glad I'm not like that, to other people. Um, The Pharisee had his eyes fixed on himself and his eyes fixed on God. Looking at himself, examining his own heart, he recognized himself a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be here. Um, And then he had his eyes fixed on God. And he approached God. God is a holy God. How can I come into his presence with this sin in my life? Not just outward sins, but sins of the heart. And he approaches God as one who is approachable. I mean, he wouldn't have gone there if he didn't believe God was a merciful God. And so he approaches God as a holy God, but also a God who is a merciful God, who... Um, And and he he recognized, I think this is probably one of the key points, that the only reason he was able to come before God is because of God's mercy. And that's the only reason any of us can come before God. And both of those truths were true not only to the, the tax collector, but to the Pharisee, too. Both of them were unworthy sinners approaching a holy God in prayer. And... um, even though the religious guy might have had more moral activity or religious activity going on um, before God, that Pharisee was just as much in need of God's mercy as the man, uh, the tax collector. Uh, Romans 3.23 is a great reminder of that. tells us that all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. So when we're tempted to kind of compare ourselves or whatever and think about how how holy we are and maybe how unholy or unworthy somebody else is, we're like, we're all unworthy. We all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so it levels the playing field. When we come before God in the temple or in church or in prayer, the, the field is leveled. There's none of us more worthy of God's attention in prayer. We all have his attention only because of his mercy. So the tax collector comes before God in prayer with all humility. And Jesus tells us the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, This is just me. I'm just imagining him going to the temple in prayer. And um, before he could ask anything of God in prayer. Um, Maybe this just weighed on him. He's like, who am I to even ask of God? Maybe there was something close to his heart or deeply going on that he just needed God's intervention on. And he's just going, God, I am, 
I'm not even worthy to ask you. Have mercy on me. Please hear my prayer. And Jesus tells us um, after that prayer, and I don't know what he prayed after that, but he tells you, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, the one you wouldn't expect, rather than the other, the Pharisee, the religious guy that you would expect, the tax collector went home justified instead of the Pharisee. One man left in the temple standing before God and in right standing with him. Can you imagine um, if everyone in our church or if every believer approached God in this way, like on a daily basis, that, um, you know, I know the scripture says that we boldly come before God's throne of grace, but the only reason we can come so boldly and the reason it is a bold move is because God is a holy and judging God and it is bold as a sinner to come before him. But we know that he has a throne of grace. We know that he is a merciful God and we praise and thank God for that. Um, you know, the opposite could, could happen for this, this tax collector. Maybe he's comparing himself to people more religious or holy and he's, I'm not worthy. But God says, you know, I know you're not worthy, but that's okay. I love you. And if you come to me with a repentant heart, you come to me in self-examination, and in uh, seeking my mercy, I'm going to give it to you. So there's no need for that insecurity for, for him as he comes before God. It's just going, God, you are so holy. Thank you for your mercy. But again, th- can you imagine if, if all of us on a daily basis, and this is me included, um, approached God in that way, where we remember, sometimes I think... And it's okay that we're comfortable approaching God, but I, sometimes I think we get a little too comfortable. And sometimes I think we forget that God is a holy God and we are sinners. It's, it's not something you want to dwell and stay there forever because you just kind of can spiral, but it is something, it's true. And it's something to acknowledge before God. And I think it's meant not in a bad way to humble us, but in a good way to humble us, to make us humble people. Because as we do that, Come before God. God is holy. Lord, I'm not worthy to be here, but I thank you for your mercy. And I come to you in prayer with these requests. Just that kind of awareness of who God is and who I am and the privilege it is to come to God in prayer and and have a relationship with him. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because I believe that it would bleed over and I believe it does permeate into other areas of our life where we're tempted to have self-righteousness and pride. Um, self-righteousness and pride isn't something that's just a sin in, this, in a religious context. It, it's something that's a sin in every context because arrogance and pride causes us to treat other people wrongly. Um, it taints the way that we treat others. It, it lets it's like sin infects the way that we're supposed to treat people is with love and grace and kindness. But we often get into that judgmental mode. But I think, 
you know, in the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us this day our daily bread. Every day we need it, not just physical. We need spiritual. And then it gets right into forgive us our sins, you know, and that's the part where we can come to the Lord like this tax collector. Lord, I'm not worthy. Forgive me. And we, and we do that daily and you're holy and you're good. And I thank you for the privilege to come before you. I thank you for your mercy. When that starts getting in our hearts and our daily devotion to God, again, that permeates into other relationships. I think of like how that might affect our relationship with people, maybe in our marriages, where we might be tempted to get prideful because we might be better than our spouse in something, or they seem to be failing at something else, and it's so easy to judge or condemn or treat them with you know, contempt or disrespect because they're not as good maybe as you are. Um, imagine how the humility before God on a daily basis, we can take that and go, you know what? My husband or my wife may not be perfect, but neither am I. I'm, I'm so thankful that God shows me grace and mercy in my imperfections how can I not treat my wife or my spouse with that same grace and mercy that God has shown me, right? You see how that infiltrates just one example of marriage. Imagine the workplace where we might be, oh, that guy's, or that girl is like, oh, what are they doing here? They don't know what they're doing. But we can kind of, and we elevate ourselves and we might gossip about that person to others. Imagine, well, I'm not perfect either. And God shows me grace and mercy. And, and actually, God might even send someone alongside me to help me with my struggles or my imperfections. Why wouldn't I do that for this person to show, you know, nobody's perfect. It can be it can it can it can permeate your attitude on the basketball court or the soccer field or whatever in sports as well. It can permeate your attitude in college or in academics or in the classroom. You see that that God's grace and mercy is meant not only to humble us in our religious pursuits, but also in every area of life. And wouldn't that be beautiful? The kind of people that show that that grace and that kindness to others in the world, in in our families. What a good model we have for our kids when we're demonstrating that grace that God has shown us to, you know, even our children and and our kids see that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that we see in this passage that, that we can learn. And it, I think it's meant to not only keep our religion pure as we um, take our religion seriously, but it's also to meant to keep our, just our hearts pure in every other realm. And so um, we just thank God for, or thank Jesus for this, this illustration he gives us that we can reflect on this morning that we can learn to um, approach God this way and let him transform our hearts that we would be rightly related to him and that we would be rightly related to others. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you that we can come before a holy God because you are also a merciful God and a forgiving God. We thank you for that mercy and forgiveness that comes through Jesus, that we can stand righteous before you, not because of our religious performance, but because of what Jesus has done 
on the cross. Lord, uh, teach us to be humble that you may be glorified in that and guard our hearts from any pride or comparison or arrogance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.